It really has been a, a pleasure for me to get to preach through consecutively this section of Romans chapters 10 and chapters 11. Um, that being said, I'm kind of glad to pass it off to Will after we get to this section when things get weird, and we'll let him deal with that with uh, Israel. But um, I don't want to belabor this with introduction, but as we come to the reading of the Word, then you'll notice that where we're going to start this morning is on a then has God rejected his people? So we've got to remember what we're talking about in here. And that is just simply this gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ as the one righteous who was given for sinners. As Paul's been preaching this gospel, it's created a problem for Israel, the people that have been God's people all along since the beginning, since Abraham. Because if the gospel Paul is preaching is true, it means that it has erased all boundaries. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, it doesn't matter what type of person you are, that all Jew and Gentile are, can come to Christ, to God freely through Jesus Christ. And Paul has answered that by in chapter 9 saying that God has actually, in the face of the fact that some Jews have believed in Christ and some has not, that God has actually, in his own mysterious sovereignty, has raised some up and brought them to himself and that he has humbled others. And that while this is difficult, that this is, this is, it is only operates in the counsel of God's wisdom that He alone has, but it also has a purpose beyond itself. And that is not just a preferential treatment of one over the other, but that it actually has its root in the fact that nobody deserves this at all. It is all by grace. But God gives it so that He can display His grace through those people to all, that all would see. Um, the workings of God, how he raises the weak, um, and there is a message that is proclaimed through Christ's election. And then we saw in chapter 10 before how the Jews, how many of Israel have actually rejected this gospel. First, they have rejected the true purpose of the law, which had been there since the time of Moses, and they have also rejected the preaching of, of Paul's gospel. And so this shows that God's purposes, what he is working out behind the scenes, are actually being worked out on stage, in the people's real lives, in their allegiances that they, that they pick up, and where that they place their faith. And so then we come here to chapter 11, and we get a what then? So what do we do now, um, with that being the case? And let's, let's go to our text, and let's read it together. Or I will read it, and you're welcome to follow along. Romans 11, verses 1 through 10. This is God's word. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, and the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. 
And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray briefly. Dear Father, we come before you humbly and we ask that you would work through your word. That even with um, both good news and difficult news mixed together, that you would give us wisdom and that you would soften our hearts that we might receive what you have to say to us this morning. Despite what is said on my end, despite what is heard, we ask that you would work here, that you would take what we are doing now and that we would you would use it to turn us to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to jump into this to give us a little, do a little exercise to get us into the context of the kind of people that Paul is preaching to. I went round and around and around in this this week and just asking, like, what, we can know some ways, but what is the big deal here with Israel? Like, why is this a big issue here that God would have rejected his people? Because there's clearly some here that think this is the continuation of the true people of God. This is good news. There have been several converts, and yet there's this is troubling to some extent. And what is absolutely clear from this passage is that this is God's message to people who are struggling in the face of unbelief. That is unbelief of um, those that have not received the message, those that have rejected it, and the hardship that that puts on the people of God. It's a passage that is directed to the church um, to talk about the hardship that comes with unbelief. And so if I use the word we in here and you're, you're not a Christian, you're not part of the people of God, that is not meant to exclude you. That is just coming from the context here that Paul is talking to the church. And I think that um, when we think about unbelief, when you do, it's likely the first thing our mind goes to is the decline of faith in the church, particularly the church in the West, um, the one where we are right now. But this is actually a different situation than that. So let's, what I want us to do is I want us to kind of get in the shoes of those that would have been receiving this in an early church and just kind of imagine what this would have been like in hearing this message. Jesus has died like just a few decades at the most from now. So this is, there's a lot that is new going on here. That if you were sitting here worshiping, there would be people Jew and Gentile alike in the same room, which means there's a lot of fresh ideas that are going on. There's a lot of excitement as the scriptures are being teached, taught, um, and the Old Testament is unfolded and how it leads to Christ. And there's a lot of stuff that's really new and really exciting. It's like, you know, fresh, clean water given at just the right time. Um, but with that, there's also a lot of new things going on, that there are a lot of other traditions that are mixed together. There are a lot of people that don't act like you do, that don't look like you do, that are trying to get along together at the same time. You might have somebody sitting on your right right now that is, um, has more of an arrogant attitude, that we have finally arrived at the truth. We are the only ones that know it. Nobody else knows it. Um, and we're just going to, you know, camp out here to ourselves and feel prideful about ourselves. And there's probably somebody sitting on your left that knows, who's from a Jewish background, that their father is back home singing about tradition, lamenting that his children have um, actually left 
and that they have gone and followed this new way. If you've seen the movie Fiddler on the Roof, then that was a reference to that. So it's a diverse place right now. And the point I want to make about this is that it took a risk for you in hearing the good news to move into this community, and it is not the most stable of situations. Like, you're kind of an outcast from the Jewish community. You're kind of an outcast from the Gentile community. It's not a really well-established community. Um, There is social isolation that could come from this. There's economic isolation that could come from this. And so this is a risk. That you have taken a risk by putting faith in Christ to move out of something else and into um, the way that God has drawn you and showing you the truth about Jesus Christ. And the reason I say that is when we get to this issue of unbelief, that this is not just a matter of, is our sports team winning or are they losing? Like, this is not just a, I wish that they would believe, but maybe they don't, whatever. I think there's something deeper going on here that the very success of what this community is about that God has called you into is kind of in question. That is, as you are worshiping, as the gospel is being preached, and it is not being responded to by many, that's kind of a hard thing. And it kind of brings up questions like, is this really going to make it? Is it working? Is what I have called, been called to, is what I have put my faith in really working? Is God actually going to carry out the purposes that he has said he was going to carry out? And if he doesn't, then we're in a really tough spot here. I think that's what this is about. That's at least what I want us to think about in the face of unbelief, that what is God up to? What is God up to? What is he going to do? And is he really going to carry through um, the mission that he has called you to and he has said that he is going to do? So in order to answer this, Paul, um, which I'm glad Will brought up in the um, call to worship what he did, he's going to call our eyes away from us and he is going to put them firmly on God's work, what he is up to. I have a two-point sermon, which is really disguise, a three-point sermon in disguise. So first, we're going to look at God's work, and there are going to be two parts of that. We're going to look at how he works in individuals and how he works as a community as two parts. And then there's going to be our work. What is our response after this? And I'll let you know in the first place, the points are going to get progressively shorter as we go. So if you are watching having a hard time paying attention, and the first point takes longer, hang in there. We're going to get there in the end. Um, And I know your children are with you. So let's look first. The first thing Paul is going to in answering this question, has God rejected his people? He draws his attention to himself. And that he uses this example. He says, I am myself an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. And yet he's implying that he's a Christian. So Paul used to be a member of a group of the people of Israel, but he has actually made a conversion himself. And that he has moved out, he has rejected faith in this other way of being right with God, and he himself has put faith in Christ. And that this is a requirement, he's been saying this all along, that salvation and justification, it doesn't have to do with the group that you come from, but it has to do with a movement of loyalty away from there and into Jesus Christ. 
to only what he can give to his own righteousness. That it takes an individual conversion and faith in who Jesus Christ has said he was going to be. And there's another example that he gives here as well, and that is Elijah. Uh, I'm going to talk about Elijah in both points, but if, if you know your Bibles well, so Elijah and Elijah were two prophets, and I kind of like to think of them as John Wayne or Clint Eastwood um, in the Wild West of a really dark time in Israel. So they were like the only non-crooked cop in town that would show up uh, when some deal was going down and then they would by themselves administer um, justice in some form or way. And when he, what this story is referencing with Elijah is Elijah has just by himself, he has, you know the story of Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? So uh, being the prophet of God, he challenged the prophets and he told them to build this altar and to um, fill it with water and have fire rain down from heaven. And they were all cutting themselves and nothing they did, they could do it. And then Elijah marches up and he just calls on the name of God and God sends fire down and licks up every last bit. I mean, this is a really, um, it didn't come from Elijah, but this, there's a vibrato here. I mean, he's the man. Like, he was just the agent that God used to do something really spectacular. And then he goes and he finds out that Jezebel, the wicked queen, wants to kill him. And he's terrified. And his lament here is that this entire people group has left. They have all defected. They have all gone after idols. The people of God is finished. I'm the only one left. And because I'm the only one left, I'm finished too and I'm going to die. So there's an about face that he makes here. But what is the reply that God says to him at that time? He says, you might feel that way. But unbeknownst to you, I have preserved 700 people who have not bowed their knees to Baal that you don't know about. God is at work converting and preserving. Behind the scenes, even when he is not seen. The reason why, if we go back to, um, to Paul for a second, why we read about his conversion story um, earlier is that this is just a dramatic case of somebody who was bent on going one direction, following one thing, and God intervened, and he turned him around and sent him the entirely opposite direction. This is somebody that was passionate about persecuting God's people. And God has turned him around to where now he is the opposite. He is a member of God's people, and he is actually in many cases, receiving the persecution of others. And so Paul is using these two examples of himself and of Elijah essentially to say that the people group doesn't matter. Personal faith for individuals in Jesus Christ does matter. But how does that happen? That doesn't come about because of any commitment on anybody's part that doesn't come about because of any smarts. Um, It doesn't come about of being any kind of person. It only comes about because of God's work. God has to work. God has to intervene and change people's hearts and change our minds. 
anyone now who belongs to God that's because that has happened. That might have been in some dramatic way, probably not like Paul. That might have been in a long, drawn-out way from the beginning of God keeping and God teaching and God nurturing and God preserving. But you see what's going on here. Paul, in the face of unbelief, Paul draws their attention away from the situation itself to God and saying that God is at work. God is actually about this business. Have you ever tried to convince somebody and like change their mind about anything at all? Like you know how difficult that is um, to be persuasive? And much more to change the heart. But this is God's business. This is what he is about. He has done this for Paul. He has done this for those in the time of Elijah. He is doing this now. He is calling a people and he is keeping a people to become a new people. It is God's work. It is not our work. And how does this apply to us? I think there are several ways. Um, For some of us who might feel that we're owed or coming from more of the arrogant side of things, that this has nothing to do with you why you're here. That's the bad news. It's not like you didn't figure something out that nobody else figured out. You were given some um, secret knowledge that nobody else can contain. It was a work of grace. Where the Lord, whom you, knowing you, called you and moved in and called you to himself. He knew you and he drew you and he made you his own. But on the other hand of this, there's what, uh, why I set this up in the beginning. I think that there are many in the face of unbelief that they're scared. They have loved ones who didn't believe. They might have been children. They might have been parents. A lot of them, like Paul, are actually working to preach this gospel and are being met with a lot of rejection. And this is not new. This has been part of the people of God from the beginning, and it is there now. The message is that God is at work. is not about us. And if it is His work, then what He does and what He wants to do will be effective. He will draw those to himself that he wants to draw. No work of on, on ours can change what God is going to do. And that is good news. If anything, this should draw us to our knees in prayer and worship more than anxiety of asking God to work. Second side of this. God works in individuals But he's also bringing up this idea of a remnant. And this idea of a remnant is important, which is showing that this is not just about the individual. The individual is not the end of the story. That God is actually at work in a community at the same time. That he is preserving a people. Who is this remnant? And why does Paul use this word? So this is different from saying that this is a break-off group that is starting something new. That these are those that have remained. This is the remainder, those that have always been a part of the people of God. And as Paul uses the example of Elijah, he is showing that a pattern that has always been there in God's people. That where God gives grace, where he calls some to himself and there's a community around, but not everybody in the community receives it. Some reject it. And time and time again throughout history, then God actually moves to make himself known, 
I think in times like Elijah, in times like the exile, to actually purge the people of God in a way so that he would be the one worshipped, not other things. He has been at work all throughout the people of God doing this, keeping his people and his promises intact and unchanged. And so as Paul talks about this remnant here and is applying it to this current time, the, same, the exact same thing is happening. God is preserving the community in the present moment in the same way he always has. It is not a new story. This is a continuation of the same story that has been going on all along. What does that mean? Like, this, is, this is really important because this gives us, we all need a story to actually make sense of who we are and what we do. Like what our character is like, what our identity is. Um, it's got to be grounded in something. Otherwise, it's just anxiety and a lot of guessing, and we don't know uh, what we're to do. God's story actually gives a purpose. It is linking us with the work that he started in creation, of making a beautiful world, of stewarding a beautiful world, of taking care of the environment, taking care of the plants, taking care of the, the animals, all those things. And it ends there, too. It starts with the formation of societies and people um, that love one another and actually reflect God's purposes in them. And it's the same story that was started with Abraham, where God said to Abraham, I will make you a blessing, not for your own sake, but for the nations. All of us are a part of a continuing story, and that story gives us an identity and gives us a purpose. That your own salvation, God calling you to himself, it is for you, but it doesn't end with you. You have been brought into a story through which God is at work. And he has put your name, if you belong to him, in that story and called you to the same purpose. This gives us a character, an ethic, the things we do. This gives us a history and a redemption and a hope that have been going on from the beginning and have been revealed in Jesus Christ and a fellowship with all those that have gone before and those that are here now. The story is important. But the thing that Paul is emphasizing here is that the work in this, the actual carrying it out, it is not on us. God is doing this. He has always done that. The situation right now is nothing new. It might feel more anxious than what we think other times might have looked like, but nothing is new. It's the same situation. God is still at work. He is still at work keeping the story going. He is still at work guiding it to its end. He is still at work molding his people to fit in that story to play out their own part. This is the simplest thing, but is the thing that is the hardest to keep in mind and to remember, all especially when faced with frustration and anxiety. That God is passionate to continue his purposes and he will not stop. He's at work in individuals. He is at work in a community. He is seeing the story through all the way to its end. Last point. What does this mean for us? Um, That gives us a lot of hope in pointing us to God, pointing us what he is up to. Um, But what does this mean for us? And there's a way that I want to lead into this. If you, when we read this, if you thought about these last few verses here, um, I want to look at some bad news first. When we started in verse really 7 and reading through chapter 10, 
the good news of God being at work and preserving in, in a way seems to turn into bad news. Because Paul starts giving these pronouncements, like he will give them that don't believe a spirit of stupor, eyes that will not see, ears that will not hear. And the dark cloud in the background of all of this that goes with God's electing grace is why does he do what he do? Why does he call some and not others? What is he up to? This makes no sense. It seems terribly unfair. And it is hard to think about anything else as long as that elephant is in the room. And in a lot of ways, there are not clear answers to all of those questions. What we're given time and time again here in the biblical story is about God and His justice, that He is a God who is just. He is a God that is righteous, who always does the right thing. Any sense of moral indignation that we have in ourselves, God put that there because that images the kind of justice that He feels on His own. There is no surprises with God. He always does the right thing. And ultimately, beyond His justice, there's the cross, which is the sign that whatever He is going to do, the lengths that he went to, the posture that he took to actually give grace to those that did not deserve it is also a sign of his character. And for that question, those are the places we have to go to look at God and who he, who he is and what he is up to. But there are some things I want to say about this text that are important. And that is when Isaiah says these things, he is using the word hardened, and I think that is particular And I'm going to pull on something that um, I heard Joe Novenson say when I was at youth leader training a year ago about clay. And that is when clay hardens, why does it do that? It's not because somebody like touched it and turned it into a stone. It's because the water has stopped to cease to go to it. It has actually become the state that is the natural state of it if left unattended. And what God is saying here in these, there is bad news and that there is a sober warning here that God, if once rejected, that he will give us what we want. He has already said this in Romans chapter 1. The removal of his hand and the removal of his grace is a sobering and it is very hard truth. The worst thing we could get is to be left to ourselves to become what we would become without his intervention and without his grace in our lives. And the reason why these are in here, Paul is giving this and Isaiah was giving this and Paul is giving this as a warning. He's communicating these for a purpose. It's not just a statement of fact that this is going to happen and don't worry about it. That there's a communicative intent here that God wants from us that we would look to him and that we would repent. He wants our humility. He wants our introspection. He wants us to come before him honestly. He wants us to turn to him. And that's what this is a message to ask us to do. To take stock of who he is, to take stock of his work, and to hear the message that this is important. But there's also an an issue here for all of us in closing with this. 
just look at these words that he gives here. And just using the word, the idea of hardening as the concept that is going to guide these in verse 8, what he is going to say. What he is going to say. It says, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. What we all need from Him is that He would give us spirits that understand. That He would open up our eyes that we would see the good news of the gospel. That He would give us ears that we would be able to hear it. He would give us hearts that are soft, that can turn to Him. And there is only one way to do that. And that is for God's grace to be poured out in your life. And what he has shown by the cross, what he has shown by this message of grace that he has been preaching, is that this is there and it is definitive and it is free. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what kind of battle that you face inside. God has sent his own son to the cross for you so that he could rescue you. Not so he could put you to shame, but so that he could enter into your life and give you the kind of water that is actually satisfying. The kind of wisdom that is actual wisdom. And he is calling to all of us through these words that we would turn to him wherever we are and do that. I think the ultimate message of this is that rather than depending on ourselves in any way, whether it be for strategy or whether it be for our own righteousness or whatever, that we would get down on our knees before God. That we would recognize His work. That we would recognize His necessity. And that we would call out to Him and beg Him that He would work. That He would continue the story to the end. For us, for our children, for our neighbors, for our parents, for whoever. And the whole point of the story that that is actually His business. That is a prayer that will not go unanswered. That he will carry out this story to the end in a way that is good and in a way that is wise. So let's go before him and let's pray and ask that he would do this. Dear Father, we are humbled before you. We are humbled by your words. And we are met with our own inability to fix ourselves our own inability to do any good work. And so we do, together before you, we get down on our knees and we ask that you would soften our hearts, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, and that you would keep us, you would preserve those of your own, and that you would go out into where you are not known, and that you would claim many to be yours. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.